0: and welcome to a Gem of a Secret podcast. My name is Donatella, my secrets. And hey, my name is Coco Gem Holiday. How you doing tonight, Coco? Uh,
1: I feel really refreshed and cleaned out. I had a really good shower right before oh. this. <laughs> um, that's just something we're just going to like, we're just going to dive right into that nonsense. Cleaned out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, good for cause... you. <laughs> <laughs> Donna's proud of me. Um, oh my goodness. So, uh, let's get into it. Donna, what are you wearing this evening
0: i am wearing full-on coveralls um and i am just standing like i'm on like one of those communist posters with my like partner um and i'm ready to start a revolution with my comrades Wow. Okay, so <laughs> what I'm <laughs> I'm
1: dressed um I'm dressed as one of those sticky tape fly traps from the seventies. Oh yeah, the ones that you could see all of the vermin you were catching. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like, so the dust. Yeah, all so of that's it. why like the, the wrapping goes up, and then I put all this dirt on me,
0: so it's yeah. like a. But she I'm not. She my for... brow when she walked by. <sighs> Got too close. <laughs> Personal space issues. <laughs> um, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I bring up communism because I've been listening to a lot of leftist podcasts while I'm at work. Um, and it feels counterproductive to be engaging in capitalist practices while listening to very far left stuff but <laughs> you know,
1: it, this is what's so crazy about that because I, I, I have a friend at work who is an incredible who's like a capitalist and the one thing that like kind of drives me crazy about how he like operates and stuff like that is like we know we live in a like I I, I like the phrasing we live in a capitalistic society mm-hmm. specifically because of what those ideals mean and how you know even though money sucks we need it to like you know healthcare and all this other crap because our systems are all broken but he is like a capitalist through and through.
0: There are people that love it.
1: Oh God, there that are people love that capitalism. Love
0: it. I get, I get so off put by that because, <laughs> like, capitalism can't can't exist without the exploitation of the working class.
1: Yeah, I actually was watching a TikTok because we talked about that. We've never mm-hmm. talked about TikTok on this podcast before. I was watching a TikTok that was talking about um, somebody said if I they did that thing where if I saved like a million dollars a day this is how much I would have and it wouldn't equate to like some rich people today yeah um and and people are like but they really like worked hard for that money and I was like no 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a point too where I also do believe that when you hit a level of wealth that like you couldn't spend within your own lifetime mm-hmm. and you're not doing as much as you can to like feed it back into the economy and help those in need. And like everybody always says they're like, Why why should they have to help us? Like that's their money. And I was like, the only reason that we feel that way is because we're victims of a capitalistic mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. We feel like and I loved how it said it it said we feel like we can be those people someday.
0: Yeah, th- that's what it does. It sets you up to be part of that bourgeoisie, you know, yeah. like the ruling class. And it it's funny because actually I was like listening today and they were talking about how there's certain sex, uh, S-E-C-T-S, not S-E-X. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> of, Family show. Yeah, of society. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. <laughs> of society that are, um, they're, they're just a little bit above like middle class and they have these like aspirations. And so because they're not in complete abject poverty, they can separate themselves from anyone who's in kind of the lower class and be like, interesting and be like, well, that's, and, but that's the reason why you see a lot of liberalism in, in that sort of like wealth range. Um, because there is a big difference between being a leftist and a liberal. Um, I would say that I didn't start fully becoming like a leftist until I, I, moved uh probably like a little bit before i moved out here but i really started diving into it while i was living here in portland yeah i would have considered myself a liberal for most of my time throughout college till you know us be- meeting and being friends um yeah. but i i think i was a well-meaning liberal i just didn't really understand the ins and outs of like our society and i didn't really understand honestly a critical race theory or anything like that
1: yeah and i i it's it's funny you talk about those subjects too like Mm -hmm. i also i wrote about this online and um, i'm doing a series right now on my facebook for black history month it's called like it's just certain things that have been on my mind Mm -hmm. and it's obviously related to blackness and whatever and like i was talking today and this is why i thought about it i was talking today about how my mom was alive during uh when martin luther king was assassinated Mm -hmm. and like how those issues, like talking about college, because mm-hmm. she was about to go to college, and how I said, What were you doing? Did you cry? Like, was there riots in your neighborhood? Whoop, doo, mm-hmm. doo, whoop. And she said, I don't really know what i was doing she's like Mm. and it makes me remember about when i like you were saying was like going into college and whatever and i thought i had certain ideals Mm -hmm. and i thought that i was this person but really that stuff somewhat kind of comes later for some people like it's not you're not as woke about certain issues i do not say woke there i wouldn't say you're not as educated about certain issues as you thought you might be yeah like that you called yourself these things like i called myself a democrat Like, throughout, like, pretty much my entire college college career, because I was just like, oh, yeah, that's whatever a is great mm-hmm. and like, <laughs> like yeah
0: I I mean I did quite I've done quite this the flip and transformed throughout the years because when I was in high school and I was in speech and debate I was a by the way a double national qualifier for speech and debate <laughs> oh my god you
1: should see her head movements that she's doing with this this, this flex she has it's here something super nerdy okay.
0: to brag about but yeah I was a, a national qualifier and but when I was doing that I was really interested in politics, but I I considered myself a conservative in high school because I was closeted and also um, very much so politically groomed by my family mm. into thinking that way. Um, and then it wasn't until I was in college and I started developing my own ideas, I d- identified more as liberal and a Democrat, like mm-hmm. you said. And then it hasn't been until recent years. I think um, just losing faith in the system and being a worker, like working, mm-hmm. it and and living paycheck to paycheck and being in abject poverty for as long as I have Mm -hmm. that I've become a full-fledged leftist yeah that makes sense I think probably one of the big moments I point out and it sounds so stupid but it was when I couldn't afford to get a root canal for my tooth and I had to choose to just get my tooth extracted or else it would take away all the money I had saved up to move here and so I had to choose between like doing one thing that would I mean getting it extracted even the dentist said it would cause more problems for me later on but it because that's what I could if afford that's what I had to do I was given an option because of my material wealth because of wow. the money I had and it just made me realize like how fucked up the system is it's very it was it was an aha moment for me and then it wasn't until I was here that I really like dove deep into like what Leninism and Marxism is and kind of like mm-hmm. understanding those concepts a little bit more
1: you know, on that subject um, about something that's even more specific is that. So Ted Wheeler, um, he si- He announced a couple days ago, and I got to see it in action. And it's kind of gross, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to a bar downtown, and basically, what it was was he signed, uh, and implemented this thing to where you couldn't, you can't have a houseless camp. In high traffic areas, mm-hmm. um, and so I saw just so many uh, fire trucks around one of these bars I was going to and stuff like that. And Adam, my husband, had said like I think that's what it is, yeah, and because it's true they had like gated it off, and there were all these houseless camps, and um, there were some people like taking pictures or whatever, or, like you know trying to do interviews or whatever. But after we left, which was like a couple hours later, um, all the houseless camps were gone. And it hit me so uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. Like, because like, even if they want to be like, they could give me a, like a book of stats saying like, oh no, these are high traffic areas. Like this is dangerous for these individuals and whatever like that. It just felt a little gross. Yeah, Like it just felt, it felt so uncomfortable to displace somebody um, or whatever. Cause like I, I've been downtown a lot recently. And to be honest, like, after like 6 p.m. downtown's kind of dead in certain areas. Yeah. Like cuz of covid and whatever. So like signing that right now mm-hmm. feels targeted and it makes you untrusting of our government to which pushes you into those roles of where you're like starting to examine more things about your government, how the economy works and yeah. understanding where our leadership comes from.
0: Yeah. I honestly I I got so I I'm just so frustrated with our two-party system and I'm I'm so mad about it because i know that we're we were the type of people that would tell our friends you know like vote for this candidate because if you don't you're throwing your vote away yeah. um i however am at the point now where i don't feel like i can vote for a like democrat again or a republican mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really at the point where it's like democrats are Liars and don't follow through with a lot of what they say they're going to the follow through. <laughs> yeah, Democrats are lazy. And then Republicans, of course, are bigots. I feel <laughs> <laughs> so. It's like I'm, it's a lose lose. And I know that a lot of people feel this way. A lot of people feel this way. Feel but this it takes way. organizing to really change the system. And I think that we need to find ways to do that. You know, whether it's yeah. organizing through our labor force or, um, which I think is probably going to be the most effective ways, by showing them that they need us. Right. Well, and here's the other thing, too, about that. Like, so a lot of the things like we encourage our friends
1: to vote, but what's also damaging and a mm-hmm. little bit problematic about the phrasing is that what happens when people feel like their vote doesn't matter, then they don't vote in more than just that. Like people stop yeah. voting altogether about yeah. a lot of different other issues that are super important. And that's what's also damaging, because like you'll see some of these elections where it like one like something that you're really passionate about mm-hmm. like got um passed or whatever for like I uh, got passed over for five, vote, five votes. Yeah. And you're like wow and you're looking at numbers you're like wow only like 2000 people voted for like like that's how it it feels. So I do agree, like, the two-party system is just terrible, just as a whole, it really is. It's gross and it's garbage. But what it then ends up leading to is because people feel like the system is so broken because of the two-party system, they don't vote in things where their vote would actually matter. Yeah. Like, and so that's why they need to get away with it, too, so people can feel more energized and feel like they're they're a part of the story of their communities and their country and just everything in general.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's a long, long intro tangent. It is a long intro specific. tangent,
0: but it goes into what we're going to talk about <laughs> in the main, main <laughs> part of the episode. <laughs>
1: Um, And also, we have some news. I can't share everything yet, but we're going to be changing up the format, potentially, of this podcast a little bit in the coming... We actually even might change the day depending on what's happening, but like, there's some cool information to come, everybody, so be on the lookout for... Look at?
0: Be on the lookout (laughs) (laughs) for what that actually means. Keep your ears open and your eyes peeled. (laughs) Yay. <laughs> That's
1: good. Oh, well, before we get too far into our subject, uh, Donna, how are you doing this evening?
0: Coco, I will let you know after this brief break. It's a podcast Check it out. with Coco and Donna, tell a podcast. Check it out. Tune into What They Tell You podcast Check it out. with Coco and Donna, tell a podcast. Check it out. Well... I'm feeling very politically charged <laughs> and after that intro, um, but we're going to be talking about in this episode, basically what it's like to talk and make progress with people who disagree with you.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a very simplistic way of talking about this subject because mm. in, in a lot of different avenues, Donna and I have been in certain uh, public spotlights that have been challenging and damaging in a lot of different ways, and I think that it really—I considered this all this topic under the guise of like conflict resolution, mm-hmm. but then also just how you speak to people in general, yeah, uh, and how things get misconstrued a lot. Actually, yeah,
0: yeah, I I think talking about politics in the beginning of the episode was good because I find most of my discussions happen from that way. Um, because I, I I like to talk about politics. I like to argue. I've always been a very political person. Mm -hmm. Um, I am the furthest thing from apolitical. Um, and I've realized that there is a way that different sides kind of approach things. Um, I think it's important when we are arguing with someone, whether it be, um, or having a discussion, any kind of conflict resolution that we Mm -hmm. are having a discussion in good faith. Um, we're not using like fallacious reasoning or using any sort of, um, like manipulation tactics, Mm -hmm. um, to get to a resolution. Um, I think one big way that, I mean, one example that I see politically is like, we try to moralize, um, with the other side. Um, we saw it, especially from the right in like the fifties with, uh, religion, um, they would moralize the left and be like how, you know, they'd be very pious and um, mm-hmm. try and, try and moralize the left. And the left does it to the right now um, in, in regards to like voting for one example that I like to use is I, I will say sometimes when I'm arguing with conservatives, well, I haven't voted for a candidate that was endorsed by the KKK. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's me, my way of kind of like moralizing and being like, well, sure. I'm, I'm just on a moral high horse compared to you. Right. Um, and I think that we don't really get anywhere when we start out in arguments doing that.
1: Yeah. I think that it, so, um, when I was, cause I co-founded a BLM group in Grand Junction, Colorado, and a lot of times people would say to me that, Uh, they really liked the way that I did my activism when I started that group, Mm opposed to how I was in my 20s, um, because I could talk to people and I could make the message clearer without making people feel bad about Mm. the choices on a really heavy topic. And like, because the thing is, like, I I got the All Lives mattery bullcrap consistently and all the time, and it kept being thrown in my face, and I had to figure out a way to get people to understand my message without, like, completely not hearing me from the second I got too defensive in my language. Mm-hmm. And, like, me and Donna used to talk about rhetoric all the time. Like, yeah. if the rhetoric is too... If it's too aggressive, that people shut down anyway. They do. And they just want to fight and argue with you. Yep, yep. And so, like, I, I super agree with what you're saying. Because, like, uh, moralize, that, that's a good word for it. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe, like... So part of our mission statement for BLM was uh, we were hoping to change minds through our stories. Yeah. And, like, not... And I do mean not like giving a lecture, but telling your story of race.
0: It's so important.
1: Yeah, because like that's how you, when you talk, like there's the old phrase, you know, like walk a mile in their shoes, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a story is how you do that. You
0: add humanity to a label when you, when people tell their stories and you listen.
1: Yeah, and I think that, because, like, the thing is, I, I like, lumping, like, because we did in the first part of the episode, it's like, all Democrats and all Republicans into X, Y, and Z or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, It's the same way, you know, like, a feminist is all men this or whatever. Or, yeah. or when black people are like, all white folks do X, Y, and Z. And, like, the thing is, those labels, th- those kind of, um, that kind of name calling and those label placements shouldn't necessarily make a person feel away mm-hmm. Because, like, if you don't identify with the negative thing that's being said, then... It's not about you. Mm-hmm. However, when you're in an argument with somebody, they will use that if your language isn't right to then like completely throw your point out the window.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I think also going along with this type of um, discourse when it comes to like moralizing, it reminds me of something that I recently started learning more about. It's called, um, I'm going to do my best to try and explain it on here, mm-hmm. but it's called Fundamental Attribution Error. And it's essentially when someone exhibits a behavior that you don't like in them, you exhibit them Mm -hmm. doing that to like a character flaw in them. They're a bad person because they do this. But if you do something similar, then you have a bunch of nuance for it. There's a bunch of situations, there's a bunch of reasons why you did it because there's context um, to your life and why you did it. So it's basically, it's like taking, it's like removing the fact that other people have lives and have reasons for doing the things that they do. Um, and instead instead of uh, doing that, just blaming it on it, like a character defect in them.
1: Yeah, I could see that. We talked about that in my college organizational behavior class, mm-hmm. that if you did something, right? Like, if you do tend to find the qualities um, in some, another person that you hate in yourself and then yeah. make them seem like they're a bad person because of those qualities yeah. or whatever. It's mirroring. Yeah, mirroring. Yeah. And then on top of it, they also say, like, Uh, This new one I heard recently was like, sometimes you hate them because you have the capability Mm. of being like that, even if you've never done it to another person. Yeah. And so that's why you end up hating a person. And that that made me take pause in some of my online discourse as well, because I was like, oh, I was like, maybe that is why I don't like a person, because I know I can be that violent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because you've seen yourself get there before, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or it it was in your soul to do it, but you Mm -hmm. stopped yourself somehow at the last second. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, oh absolutely. And the other thing too, I I I'm in conflict with somebody right now actually. And um I have gone outward yeah to find ways to handle the situation, but it's um what I'm also doing is just like I do feel like th- I want to add this to the conversation. I feel like this veil has been lifted. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought this person was just so great and just so kind and whatever. And, like, was really funny and we were becoming good friends. And now that we're not on that path anymore, I was just like, now I can see why other people were, like, warning me about this person. Mm Because they were like, they're like, wow, why are you so close with them? Because they're really not that healthy of a person they're pretty toxic and that i know that people are always like you know make a just decision about the person yourself of course yeah but what i've learned in conflict resolution is that sometimes you can be biased in a negative way like like you can think the best of a person who really isn't healthy for you and then that Mm -hmm. can also break down the conversation when you get there
0: absolutely absolutely and it it often happens in relationships where you feel like a lot of like love, like you see something in the person that's like charismatic or something yeah. that is like charming about them mm-hmm. and it makes you want to like give them more of a chance even though they yeah. may ex- display these really like crappy traits you know yeah and
1: every once in a while of course like giving somebody another chance is mm-hmm. oftentimes seen as a good thing but i also feel like with these conversations that we're talking about people tend to forget that the outcome isn't necessarily to be best friends or even to be friends afterwards the yeah. outcome is to be heard and ha- like donna was saying like basically everybody leaving the conversation like you know if you go into it with good faith leaving the conversation knowing that you might not be friends with this person afterwards but both parties have hurt. Feel. feel Heard and validated.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are some, so some of the fallacious reasoning I've noticed when I'm like having discussions with people? The biggest one I think is I see people straw man a lot, where you'll be debating or talking about a specific point, and then they will bring up a completely opposite, weaker argument. So it's uh, it, yeah. it's easier to tear down and it makes it look like they're winning. And that's what I, I don't... I think I see strawmanning a lot, especially when I'm having conversations with people who are more politically conservative. And mm-hmm. I, I com- constantly, you have to do kind of like a constant redirection to what the point at hand well, is.
1: Well, yeah, I... Gosh, even in a relationship argument, I yeah. feel like if you bring up a subject... Yeah, it's exactly what Donna said, but it's more like... If you're bringing up a subject, it always derails the conversation in the first place. And like, it takes a really strong, like, argumentative person to be able to recognize what's happening and pull the conversation back to the mm-hmm. topic at hand. And I have seen it actually, where when you actually get the person to continue focusing because you are choosing not to engage yeah. in topics outside mm-hmm. of um, what the specific topic is. Uh, they tend to back down because they're just like... And they get mad and they get defensive, but they, like... You're like, no, we're here. This is the conversation we're having.
0: Unless the person has a really, like, dominant personality type and they won't back down on those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, because it can be hard when people are, are bringing up these, like, random, like, you know, straw man arguments in mm-hmm. a situation. It can be really hard to redirect the conversation if they are more dominant when it comes to their conversation style.
1: You know, and what I, what's funny to me is um, I actually had some... I had an argument with somebody a couple months back about a plus-size show that we were doing. Yeah. And um, I... Uh, one of my drag daughters had talked with a person and the person seemed fine, but they were mad at me. And so I wrote them. I said I wanted to check in on them. Mm -hmm. And when we were having the conversation, they told me all of their fears and whatever. And I basically said, yeah, I thought we did what we were supposed to do in that situation. And then they just brought up 15 different topics about my personality, Mm. even this podcast and like a lot of other things. And I just disengaged at that point. I actually said, wait, what does any of those subjects have to do with the, excuse me, the topic at hand?
0: Well, that's what you have to do. I think when you find out someone is arguing in bad faith, they're not there to, like, hear you out. You have to disengage. It's like, if you're going to argue with me in bad faith, we're not going to get to a resolution. You're just here to fight. I'm here to come to some sort of resolution. There's, yeah. there's no There's no reason to continue further if you're going to argue in bad faith.
1: Yeah, I fully agree with that. I fully, 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 fully agree with that. Like, arguing in bad... I love that phrasing, by the mm-hmm. way. Arguing in bad faith, which I feel like a lot of people and disagreements that I've gotten into recently, like, um, and I always say, Portland prioritizes feelings over facts. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, like, you'll then you're in an argument with someone's feelings about a situation mm-hmm. and feelings are irrational. Yeah. <laughs> Cause
0: yeah.
1: as all get out and then you're like having to put stock and weight into those yeah. interactions and that's hard.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, To talk about some more of the positive sides though. Cause like yeah. we're talking about what goes wrong, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so let's we have talk to about have what gr- goes right. Yeah. You have to have, you know, a groundwork, a basis. And so far we've, talked about how, you know, if you're if you're trying to talk with someone who's arguing in bad faith, you're not going to get anywhere. But for those people who do want to have a conversation and do want to have it go productive, what are some experiences that you've had um, that have seemed successful?
1: I have learned that this sounds negative, but it's actually a positive point. Like um, try to do the thing where you're listening and not just waiting for your turn. Like that is a really clear indicator Um, also um, I do believe in this fully this actually kind of goes back to our episode when I talked about Green in my public drama recently Mm -hmm. the having a conversation in person or over a FaceTime is a little bit ben- more beneficial because you can see someone's reactions to the things you're saying. Things get misconstrued in text consistently and undeniably. And now we also live in a co- culture where receipts can always be perceived differently. People tend to not post all of the receipts. They tend to post what makes their argument seem better. Yeah. And so that's also toxic. So like when when you're having a discussion with a person, I've seen it I've most of the time, ninety percent of the time seen it go well when it's in person, when it's uh you're getting to see someone's reaction, mm-hmm. you can see someone's hurt, you can see their side of the story a little bit better than like words back and forth on a screen. Yeah. So and, and that can get you to a place to where you might even be friends afterwards. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Like when you think about it, that's obviously don't expect that outcome, but that that's where some of my friendships have even formed is just being able to like be honest yeah. in person.
0: Having that honesty. Um, what is it, the statistic? Is it like more than 50% of our language is nonverbal? Yeah. So it's like, the you know, our facial expressions, the way mm-hmm. that we move our hands when we talk, how we talk. It's so important to convey that in conversation, especially in conversations where the subject matter is sensitive. Right. Um, so not having that, I feel like it it allows more room for you to misunderstand each other. And that shouldn't be the goal of your conversation if you're coming to it in good faith
1: yes and like that's our friend Babylon one of her favorite sayings is like um, stop putting time and energy into people who are committed to misunderstanding you. Mm-hmm. You'll also be able to recognize that in person really quickly. Yeah. Like because like if somebody is wildly jumping through topic to topic, the strawman argument, sure, but like mm-hmm. if they just can't stay on task because they want to be angry at you, like, and even if they came to the conversation in good faith, but they're flailing like that, mm-hmm. you know that this is once again a feelings conversation versus a factual conversation. And when it yeah. comes to difficult subjects that involve a vote of a person, like a like politics or something like that, something that you would like to convince somebody why your side of the coin is a little bit prettier or shinier or why Mm -hmm. they should care about this specific subject um feelings of course have to be involved because that's how they probably will end up changing their mind but you have to give them the room to have those feelings but then also have to find a way to bring it back to being like okay so i understand where you're coming from i have a really good example of this actually one of the ways that I used to – and I, I, it wasn't mine. I'm just going to repeat it here, and I might have even said it on the podcast before. But when I was talking um, – giving BLM lectures and things like that, I used the example of – um, a positive spin on All Lives Matter. I used to say, like, it'd be like, All Lives Matter is, like, you going to your partner or your husband or your wife, because it's mostly straight people, your okay. husband or your wife, and uh, when you're they say, I love you, I was like, what if your partner said back, like, what if you said back, well, I love everybody? And that one was, like, surefire gold. Yeah. Because it's evoking an emotional response because they feel hurt mm-hmm. that their partner can't say, I love you. And then it also made them think about the topic at hand, but then also lowered the barrier because it's kind of comedic too. Yeah, like in that way, like it's not like be like the firehouse, ex- like the house is burning example. Mm-hmm. It's literally the the "I love you too," which is the most positive phrase you can have, right? Yeah. So that that was I found to be a really good indicator about how we can actually get to the same page by touching on the feelings, but then bringing it back to a scenario mm. that's logical that they can understand.
0: That's good. Yeah. That's it's so important because that's you like breaking down how someone else communicates and understanding, you know, like how you could better convey to them based on how they communicate. That's like meeting someone where they're at
1: meetings, meeting someone where they're at. And especially when you're in those big group settings, of course, like when you give lectures on typical topics, obviously you have to do stuff that can touch multiple people. But on Mm -hmm. one on ones, what I've noticed works really well. People just like I said before, people just want to be heard. Yeah, I usually just wait yeah. Listen, of course, but just wait. They will finish talking. It's a <laughs> lot of
0: checking your own ego. Oh, When you're my having goodness, these conversations. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've had to check my, my own ego in a lot of conversations like that, whether it's about politics or whether it's I'm disagreeing with someone over like a personal matter. I find that I really have to. And as I've gotten older, it's been a lot easier to do as I get older and more clear headed and just have a better understanding of who I am. Um, I check my emotional processes. Um, because mm. I found that when I was younger, I was very reactionary, and that only caused problems for me. So I try to curb that like reactionary um, instinct that I have, because I think it was like a natural instinct for me to feel defensive. Self and reaction- defense mechanism yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being able to recognize when I feel that bubbling up and being like, okay, check your ego. Let's check. Like, let's process this a little bit before we react. And um, I think. If you're able to do that then you're able to find more common ground again easier
1: yeah i think so too like checking um i used to actually say this online last year that like a lot of portland needed to check their ego a little bit when having difficult conversations because people were really concerned about their well-being in discourse and like Mm. it and that's fine. It's fine. You want to protect your own. You want to protect your mental health. Remember the phrasing? Because nobody uses this anymore. Mm-hmm. Emotional labor. Like, they don't... I don't really see it used as much anymore. Yeah. Um. You know, like, they we use it a lot during the BLM protests and riots. And, like, yeah. people would be like... They're like, oh, my gosh. She had to expend so much emotional labor. And, like, you need to tip her for this. And, blah, 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 blah. Like, people talked about emotional labor. Because emotional labor is literally conflict where you're tackling someone's feelings. Yeah. Or providing your own feelings that can oftentimes be traumatic to make somebody understand a story better. And actually, let's let's pause there on that, too, because when like I said, sharing stories is usually how we change our minds. But if the story is too heavy in a way that is attacking an entire group of life, Mm -hmm. um, people sometimes will just check out or feel so uncomfortable and then also think that they can't relate to it because Mm. it's so far out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, yeah. Like, and even that's what was so interesting about Me Too, because women had been saying all of that for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But that simple phrasing of Me Too, two words, and like bringing in those stories, some heavy, some not heavy, under that label made it to where people could then have a conversation without people checking out. Yeah. Because people were able to say Me Too and compare sonor- compare scenarios and start changing minds under yeah. that small flag, which yeah. is great.
0: Yeah, that is great, yeah. And that's a good example, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just... I think that there are a lot of methods that we can explore to, like, have common ground with people who we may disagree with. And I don't know. I really wanted this like episode to kind of explore what we could do to have better um what was what was it that you said uh conflict resolution skills yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and i think i think that that's something that everyone can benefit from i think that we're constantly having to interact with people who see things from different points of views that uh than us in our job in our everyday life in our social life um politically um you know There's so many different examples of when these conversations happen in life, and I think relating it back to what our podcast is about, you know, drag and living an open queer life, we find a lot of people in our own community that we have these types of conversations with.
1: Yeah, because at the end of the day, like we can't build relationships without, you're always going to be in conflict with every single person in your life at one point or another. And then Mm -hmm. how we handle those, ourselves in those conversations are a clear indicator of who we are as people. And I know that people, I put a lot of weight into, as the vixen says, Mm because it's finally a drag point I can bring up here. Yeah. When, (laughs) you know, the vixen got into their fight with Eureka, right? Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. said, I don't understand why y'all are, um, telling me how to react Mm -hmm. when you should be telling her how to act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like like because that also breeds a culture that's really, really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like and things like that. So I do believe that there is an air to like letting somebody react how they need to, but then it's also the responsibility of the person who's reacting where the vixen is wrong on this point to then If they choose to, want to have the resolution. Yeah. If they want to have the resolution, then it's up to you to remember all the skills and tool sets that we've even talked about in this episode to then start that dialogue to be able to find the common ground. Yeah. To be able to build a better relationship with the person you're in conflict with.
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. And also just recognizing when someone is going into something in good faith or in bad faith. You know, I think it takes a while to recognize,
1: honestly. I have... This is funny that you bring that up. That phrasing is really good for me because Mm -hmm. I do feel like some of the, this is probably, I will say it, like, I do feel like some of the conflict resolution conversations I've had recently, Mm -hmm. um, people were not coming to the table with good faith. No, Like, I feel like people um, wanted to be heard in certain aspects and Mm -hmm. that's, but that's all they really wanted. Yeah. Is just to be heard. And I don't think that that's resolution.
0: No no like, at all yeah
1: and that because and i can breed toxicity so yeah I, that is always just a part in the healing to be heard is a part of it yeah there's more than that
0: yeah there's more because there's two there's two parties to the the conflict right and you have to consider feelings of both people you know you have to you have to consider what the other person's going through um i think it's so easy to when we villainize someone um that we remove the humanity from them And that's good. We need to stop doing that. You know, it's it's that's that's part of checking our own ego and also just realizing that people do live complex um, lives completely different and outside of our own, you know,
1: full of struggles, positives, negatives Mm -hmm. and traumas.
0: And as as complex as our own, you know. Oh,
1: that's good. And, uh, you know, like going in with that good faith thing i think another way you could even say that is like going in with the mindset of kindness mm-hmm. um not even forgiveness but going in with the mindset of kindness because it's the thing you, you hear in every romantic relationship like your partner snaps at you it's because you don't realize what what went on that day right? yeah you don't know what someone else is going through everything donna said more eloquently than i did is true like oh, thank it's you. It's true. Like, you don't know what somebody else is going through. And to put too much too much of a burden on somebody um, will not breed the results you want. On top of the fact, to add in this side note as well, sometimes even if a person knows they're going to be open to having the conversation, you got to give them time to actually get there. And so a tactic I do frequently, actually, is saying, like, I would like to have this conversation, especially when somebody sends me, like, 15,000 screenshots. Mm. Um, I say, I would like to have this conversation. I do not have the spoons at the moment. Or be like, I'm at work right now and any response I have will not seem like I'm giving you enough back. Mm -hmm. I was like, so I'm just letting you know. I will get back to you in a second. But like, I'm just really busy in this exact moment.
0: Yes, respecting people's boundaries and understanding that you don't have 100% access to someone just because we live in an age of technology where you Mm -hmm. think you do. Yes, Um, That's important. And... It's not something that I fully like had put into terms for me to where I understood it until recently, because I'm like, why am I such a shitty person that I can't get back to these people right away? And then I'm like, oh, it's because I'm like depressed all the fucking time, you know? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I'm sad. And like, sometimes I'm going through things and it's hard just to like pick up the phone and like respond back sometimes or I'll be doing something and I forget because I... I'm an extremely forgetful person and I've been experiencing brain fog, you know, and these all may sound like excuses to people, but this is also the complex life that I'm telling you that I have underneath the surface. While it may seem that I'm like this extroverted person that's like constantly like ready to reach out to people, my social battery runs out often. And um, I've noticed that ever since the pandemic started and ever since I've embraced my solitude and my own alone time, Mm -hmm. I value that a lot more than I realized that I thought I did
1: i value it too i've i've really i gained so much weight because it's covet showed me that i needed a break from that high energy social uh, socialization and like even yesterday i was out um visiting my friend autumn who works at stag right now and um when i got there even though there was like barely anybody in the bar i was my battery was on e yeah. uh, like i don't even know what happened i showed up and it was on e yeah and i was like oh my god i can't even like like I couldn't even process that. Like yeah. I just was, and it was nothing to do with the environment or the people or anything that was said. It just the thing about knowing yourself, because like me and Donna have been on a journey of knowing ourselves for a very long time. I don't know if most people are, but like when we moved here, it was a journey of self discovery. Yes. And so like it, I do recognize that there are certain triggers in my life that, um, yes, I would love to have fun and laugh and giggle with the girls, but at the same time, I also need those moments to where like. I get lost in a TikTok hole for three hours Mm -hmm. because the world was a little bit too much. And this makes me feel like the world is not as terrible and it recharges my battery and then I can move back out into the world as I need to.
0: About that, about the the journey that you're talking about with self-discovery, does the last few years feel to you like almost like the last 10 all in one, like being away and developing like the growth? That you've experienced recently does it feel like you've made even further strides than you did while you were kind of stuck in the position that we were um Uh, or do you feel
1: yes i feel like i great example to bring Mm -hmm. it back to drag is me and donna used to talk about how we would meet drag queens who've been doing drag the same amount of time that we had and they were so much farther along in the skill sets than we were for instance, we met Britta Filter way before Drag Race. Yeah. I think it was her first year doing drag, maybe yeah. even her second. And she was so polished. Big hair, costumes, yeah. makeup was great. The whole nine yards. And it's because she started drag in New York City, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, we started in Grand, Grand Junction.
1: Grand Junction, Colorado. So mm-hmm. it took us a long time to like work through these issues and get to where we needed to be. And that's a really valid point that Donna brought up. Because I do feel, I was listening to one of our previous episodes. And I, my viewpoints on this place have changed drastically. Yeah. And um, and it's because I'm being exposed to more situations more frequently and more often mm. that is, like, making up my mind about what this place is. And I don't feel like – but I also don't feel like there's um, – I don't feel like I'm making excuses for the environment that I live in. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm living in the environment that I'm living in and experiencing those things and reacting accordingly as they come. Yeah. yeah. When before I felt like in Grand Junction I was consist consistently on the defense. Yeah. Like always you had for to be. everywhere I did and everywhere I went and everywhere where I, um everything that just happened to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I do feel like I've had yes, I feel like in the last two and a half years of living here, I've experienced six years of living in Grand Junction. Yeah. Like in the sense yeah. of time frame
0: wise. Yeah. For real. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. It is really crazy to think about. But I, I don't know. I think that's part of the great part of moving away and being here is that we've gotten to meet a lot of people who have different ideologies. And I know that my ex- without my exposure to a lot of the people that I've met, I probably wouldn't have formed a lot of the like views that I have now. Um so, I, I don't know. I feel like I, my life has definitely been enriched in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Being here. Um, I can
1: definitely see that. Yeah. Because your life definitely has been enriched by living here.
0: Yeah. And the journey
1: of self-discovery is sometimes kind of fun and sometimes it's depressing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, learning that I love um, I love reading comics Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned that since I've moved here.
0: Isn't it cool discovering, like, a little trait like that about yourself?
1: Yeah, it, it has been. It's been really mm-hmm. cool. I I also know that I'm super into more serious animes that deal with difficult subjects, mm-hmm. like, things like that. And then I also know that, like, I don't love movies as much as I used to, Mm -hmm. but I still love the movie going experience with my popcorn and my partner and my friends.
0: We still need to go to that old timey movie theater that's like right down the street. We need
1: to do that. Um, Please sponsor us if you're listening to our podcast. Um,
0: (laughs) What's it called? Uh, Academy. Okay. the Academy Theater. It's over on Stark. um, And I pass it every day on my ride to work. Um, so I always like look at the marquee and see what's playing. The one I wanted to see isn't playing anymore, but there's always something. It's Different. like vintage movies that they play on there. And I just think that would be a fun experience. I should
1: definitely see how late they do showings. I would love yeah. to do that. I love old timey theaters. I love yeah. the smell of those weird seats that have like asbestos <laughs> in them. <laughs> Um, Well, we've completely derailed at this point, but (laughs) it is kind of towards the end of our episode. But it's been
0: a productive conversation, and thank you all for listening, and hopefully you've learned some things from listening to this episode, um, as much as we have just from, like, talking it out with each other.
1: Yeah, and, like, and even if you disagree with us, please, like, fight us online, in the sense (laughs) of, like, on our website. Like, get in our comments and just... (sighs) Don't fight
0: me. I'm too anxious for that. But like if you come to my (laughs) inbox, like Coco says, my inbox is always, my DMs are always open. My
1: DMs are always open.
0: I will definitely like gladly have some like polite discourse with you. But don't, if you come out with me, if you come at me aggressive, thank you. I'm disengaging.
1: Yeah. um, It's something that LaWanda Jackson, famous drag queen, used to say or still says. Mm -hmm. Um, When people are really terrible to you, you just tell them thank you yeah like and then you move on with your life and i do i do believe a lot in forgiveness i believe in so the last what i want to leave you all with is forgive yourself for your reaction to something that hurt you Mm. that has been such a key indicator in my life recently and it's actually why i've been so happy i thought it was i was moving on too quickly from all that public cancellation that i've been through but it wasn't that it's just i looked myself in the mirror and i forgave myself for the hurt um for the reaction to the hurt because I feel my hurt always lasts longer because I feel humiliated that mm. I got so hurt from the actions of other people being literally awful to me mm. and so I forgave myself for being that sad yeah. and said that it's okay you are allowed to process things however you want to process those things and you will pick yourself up and you will get moving when you're ready and that is okay mm-hmm. and I have been really great ever since I did that
0: Mm, that's good. I have a quote that I want to leave off on, too. Sure. Um, because you said, forgive yourself. It reminds me of this, like, poem that I have. I think her name was uh, Jasmine Manns, and she says, apologies are like oxygen masks on hijacked planes. Forgive yourself before you ever forgive the person sitting next to you.
1: Oof. That's good. Yeah, uh, yeah that fits. Yeah. That fits. I love that. Um, So, yeah, please... Um, follow us online and look at the stuff that we're doing and then go to vegemasecretpodcast.com. We're going to start having some updates there about some of the changes that are coming. Yeah. Thank you all for being so invested into our little journey that we've had here. Yeah. Uh, we are continuing forward. Uh, we're not canceling the show. That's not. The no, thing. we have
0: um, just we're some growing. fun developments on the horizon. So uh, share this with your friends and uh, please rate us five stars. It really helps us out. Um, and uh, We also like to communicate with you, so feel free to uh, visit our site and send us some messages. (laughs) Yeah, and follow
1: us on Instagram. Yeah, Gem of a Secret Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.